Welcome to the Pizza and P.E. Podcast, the Triple P, where a group of friends get together each week to eat pizza and discuss P.E. Hello, boys! How are you? What's happening? Great. Well, Andrew, before you introduce who our guest is on today's Pizza and P.E. Podcast, I have a special announcement. So... We have upped our game in the Pizza MPE, the Triple P podcast, and we have launched a new delivery service where our listeners and viewers can go to one site, www.pizzape.org, where all the podcast sessions are uploaded and linked, and even our bite-sized YouTube video links. So one-stop shop, again, it is www.pizzape.org dot org. Andrew, who do we have today? Well, joining us today is one of the greatest advocates for our health and PE profession, Miss Carrie Chef. Carrie currently serves as the safe, healthy, and active school student specialist for the Arizona Department of Education, where she provides leadership on all components of Title IV-A programming, specifically ensuring that every student is provided with a safe, healthy, active, and supportive learning environment. We have a big time guest today, big time. There's a lot of titles in there. There is, and yep. she's a colleague and friend too, who has you know helped us through our journey in our large urban school district too. So can't wait to have a pizza and PE conversation with her. Absolutely. Now, your fun fact today, this is gonna be amazing. Cause this, it's just, Blows my mind. The world's fastest pizza maker can make 14 pizzas in two minutes and 35 seconds. Is it any good though? I don't care. That's a lot of dough you got to toss and spin and throw sauce on and cheese. I mean, is there a rubric on the, to be sure there's quality insurance with that, that, that pizza in two minutes? I think I might be able to be a contender, but it's not going to be that good. Well, maybe next week you should bring some dough and we'll time how quick you can toss that dough, get it into a perfect circle with sauce and cheese. And we'll put I don't think it has to be totally done. I think it's just. <laughs> right. It just oh, has to be. Right. It doesn't have to be cooked or heated. It just has to be prepared. Correct. Yes. And the two of you know that I'm just joking because I don't like cooking. You know that. Well, I just wonder if, you know, that's quicker than our new pizza delivery service right there. Oh, just typing pizzape.org? Yes, I can do that in less than two minutes. <laughs> in 35 okay. seconds. All right. So again, I'm so excited to have Carrie Chef on our podcast because in the past, and I've been thinking about this um, over the weekend about who we've had on the Pizza MP podcast. I'm so grateful and humble to be surrounded by all these great colleagues in the health and PE world because we've had a principal that was our inaugural Pizza and P podcast. We've had a former Shape America president and currently the executive director of Kentucky Shape. We've had a chief executive, or excuse me, chief operating officer of a curriculum company, a professor and former North Carolina DPI, Department of Public Structure Consultant, and two national Hall of Fame PE teachers that now we have somebody who works for the Department of Education. Carrie Chef, welcome. Good morning. Well, it's good afternoon for you guys. Good morning, everyone. How are you? 
We are fantastic. So good to see you. It's yeah, good so, to see you too. So we are, it's truly lunchtime for us and we're eating pizza and it's 1230 our time, but 930 your time. So you're probably still, if you're a coffee drinker, drinking your coffee, but we truly eat pizza every single podcast. So it's lunchtime for us. So. Well, it looks delicious. Mm -hmm. You throw some eggs on your pizza, call it breakfast pizza. <laughs> I think I'll, I think I'll pass for thanks. <laughs> Isn't that called quiche? Breakfast pizza? <laughs> now quiche, that's a different story. I'm, I'm always down for a good quiche. Hmm. Can, does that come frozen too? Can I heat that up? You can, you can. <laughs> you can find anything frozen. I'm sure you know all the items you can find frozen. Let's be honest. Right, because if it does not, if it can't be cooked in a crock pot or an Instant Pot, it's usually frozen. That's how I, I roll. Or you, if you can't no call shame. It. Yep, no shame in that game, no shame. No. She only has two aisles that she has to shop in at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> or I go out to eat, this is correct. Okay, this is about Carrie. Not about my nutritional habits and how I cook. That's a different Here, um, To get us started, explain your background, how you became a teacher, what is your education experience, et cetera, et cetera. Tell us about yourself. So uh, born and raised in Arizona. Um, I did go to uh, high school here in Arizona, and then I went to uh, college in Ohio at uh, Malone University, which is a really small, at that time it was an NAIA affiliated school. So I have a big track and field and soccer background. I was a soccer player and a track and field athlete. I actually did the heptathlon in college um, at the national level. And so I had lots of fun playing soccer and you know, participating in all those events in track and field. And I thought, what well, was a great way that I could um, continue to pursue activity and, and help others learn to love exercise the way that I did. And so I thought, you know, I, I might want to be a sports psychologist. So I took a couple of classes and, and that was my major. And I was like, you know, this really isn't for me. And I met with my advisor and they were like, you should go into physical education. And I was like, you know, that's a great idea. Um, so I became a high school physical education teacher, uh, specifically focusing on secondary, um, because I feel um, that there's a lot of development at the elementary school level, but we didn't really develop at the high school level. And I, I'd like, I thought I'd like to make a difference in doing so. And, and so I went into high school physical education and I taught um, high school PE for 15 years. And I was getting pretty stagnant as a high school PE teacher. I wasn't engaged with our state organization all that much. I wasn't engaged at the Shape America national level. And quite honestly, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but um, I just didn't feel like there was engagement at the high school level for uh, PE teachers. And so the I saw the State Department of Ed listing and I thought, what a great opportunity that would be for me to expand not only my profession, but to really help engage some of those second-served. It's just an, an underserved percentage of our profession in that there's resources just aren't out there. And so um, I went to the Department of Ed and I've been at the Department of Education now for 10 years in May. I started as a CDC grant funded through the uh, Coordinated School Health Grant, and now I work in Title IV-A and I review federal grants uh, as a profession. So 
I, I keep my PE and health focus in every grant that I review. And as my title says, it's kind of like my job to make sure that our students have a safe, healthy, and active learning environment and one that's supported um, in all of those facets. So that's what I do. That's why I'm here and kind of my story. So Kiri, when you review those Title IV grants, are you just reviewing Title IV grants for your state of Arizona or are you reviewing Title IV grants across the globe in the US? So it's just specific to Arizona. So Arizona has 502 LEAs and LEA is the local education agency. So an LEA might be a single site charter school or an LEA might be Charlotte Mecklenburg Public Schools, right? So the, each LEA either functions in a different role. And so we review grants, there's a team of us uh, here in Arizona and each of us has a little bit of a different focus, but we all review grants um, at the LEA level. So like I said, sometimes it's a $10,000 single site charter and sometimes it's Mesa Public Schools, which is our largest school district. And you know they've got a $1.4 million Title IV-A budget. So we review everything in that grant from grant compliance and the fiscal side, uh, making sure all the budgets align. And then, the, then we also review the programmatic side. Is this allowable program? Is this really the best use of funding with your Title IV-A dollars? And then we have professional development that we provide and we do all kinds of things, but it's just specific to the work that we do here in Arizona. Okay. so. Does that, um, is your process also, is that the same process across other states? Like for example, in North Carolina, when you talk about Title IV funding, that's every student succeeds at, as part of ESSA. Does my federal coordinator of grant funding, does she or he have to go to you to get approval of those funds? So that's a great question. It looks a little different in every state. Um, there are lots of states that have Title IV-A only grant reviewers. There are other states where one person is able to review an LEA's Title I, Title II, Title IV-A, Title IV-B, RLIS, which is Rural and Low-Income Students, Title V. Like it, every state agency kind of operates a little differently. And okay. so you'll find that, that, it, that it varies across the state. And that's true, same at the school level, right? Like if you look at how in the world do you get federal funds, it, it looks different for every school in every LEA across this country. So that's right. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wanted to clarify too, because our process is somewhat different, but, but when it comes to federal dollars, you all have to play by what those guidelines are, despite what state you are in. So we do have a federal funding um, coordinator, uh, director in our department that anything that we have to propose, it has to go through him or her and be basically those funds earmarked for certain requirements. And we get audited and we have to put in, you know, how we use those funds and show our anticipated outcomes and what happened with that funding and so forth. So sort of the same. We all have to play by the same guidelines for that federal funding, but the process to get it might be different from state to state. So thanks for clarifying. Sure thing. So, so Carrie, I have a couple of questions from your answers there. And, you know, one thing I can say that, you know, our department does well is we are in very close with our grants department and, that makes a huge difference. We've had our grants, our local, our CMS grants department speak at our back to school trainings. 
and our teachers have an idea of what it's like to go through the grant process and to send everything to her first to make sure like what you do, make sure it's appropriate and the stuff we can do. But now, unlike, you know, North Carolina, you're out in Arizona. So what is the requirement of PE out there? So like in North Carolina, it's one semester. I mean, it's a 90 day, you know, that's it. You have to put, take ninth grade PE and then we're done with high school other than elective courses. What's the requirement? that you guys have? So uh, that's a great question. We've got two different like ways that we look at this. Um, first and foremost, um, Arizona is a local control state. So essentially each LEA can decide and determine what they want to do to meet whatever it is that the requirements and the standards are. So uh, if we look at the elementary level, we have an Arizona state statute Right. So it's not it's it's education law, but statutes are a little different than like legislative requirements. Sometimes sure. there's a little more leeway in those statutes. The statute says that all uh, K through eight students prior to being promoted into the ninth grade um, have to be competent. And I use that word competent because that is a direct quote from our statute, competent sure. in health and physical education and several other subject areas. And in that same language, it says local school boards determine competency. So for example, our second largest uh, LEA here in Arizona, our second largest district, um, their elementary PE, uh, PE teachers don't exist. Their classroom teachers teach physical activity and the, the district counts that as physical education. And so what um, that looks like in Arizona is anything. And then at the secondary level, uh, PE is just lumped in with all the other electives and there is no requirement at all for any high school to uh, require physical education. It's not a graduation requirement. Health isn't even usually considered in many of our high school programs. Uh, that being said, there's we did a survey about 80% of our high schools actually do require it for their graduation requirements, but it is not a requirement from the state of Arizona. See that that to me is kind of it's kind of crazy because you know here we are we're we're always fighting for positions and then you have a state where you don't necessarily have to have a PE teacher and that's that's kind of that's that's a tough thing yeah. to do and it, it is always interesting to know what other states requirements are and that's that's the other cool thing about having you on from Arizona hey what do you do in Arizona versus North Carolina yeah and and I I think we also to to add to that to make it even more fun um, two years ago, our governor uh, signed into legislation uh, a bill that says uh, teachers don't actually have to be certified. So because we have such a teacher, and that, that was a good thing at the time, because in our rural areas, they're really struggling because we have a massive teacher shortage in Arizona. But the consequence of that is we have YMCA instructors teaching physical education and they're calling it physical education. And we all know that that's physical activity at its best, not anywhere near physical education. It's not standard aligned. It's not assessed properly. It, it's a whole mess, right? So, right. you know, we do what we can here, but we still have some of the most amazing programs in the mm -hmm. country, despite sure. all, all of those things. So we do what we do and our teachers make it work. And there's so many teachers in the state that that I would lift up and, and call out and have anybody come watch. So, yeah, so. I just find it interesting that they have strong language that states, and I wrote this down, 
competent in health and PE, but LEAs can decide what that competency looks like. You know, so the language seems like, wow, you are going to have standards aligned assessments and you have, you know, where, how do you know that kids are proficient and competent in those areas? So to me, at first I was like, wow, you guys are, that's, that's pretty cool. But then it's actually just written expression that, that it's loosely term word competency in your state. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, competency is defined by whoever. Right. Yeah. Whoever, yeah. whoever happens to be on the school board who may or may not have had any kind of actual school experience. That's so, correct. Because anybody yeah. on a school board member or a school board does not have to have an education background. Right. So, yeah. And may have had a, a, a bad time in their PE classes. So now they're going to make it so that, yeah, that's, that's right. So now this leads me to, my next question is, you know, you work, you work for the Department of Ed in Arizona. And, you know, like we've had discussions before with friends, you know, what it's like to work in central office. What's it like to work for the Department of Ed knowing some of this stuff is coming down? And what exactly is that role with the Department of Ed? So the role of the Department of Ed was an interesting one. Like when I first came in 10 years ago, I was, you know, guns blazing. It's Arizona, the wild, wild west, right? Literally, like, let's just make sure that we knock all this PD out as much as we can. And there's so many parameters, right? Like, if you think of the red tape that you have at a school level, then you add to that when you go to the district level, it's even more at the state level. Like, there's, there, you have to really watch what you say, what you do, how you come across. Everything that you send out to anybody has to be, like, vetted through a process. Like, I can't just send emails out to the field, right? My director has to look at the emails and then, you know, they have to approve whether or not it's the appropriate language. We have to be careful what we say, you know, uh, um, on anything we do. And so, you know, it's everything has to be public process, right? So standards review, you know, standards review isn't Carrie Chef at the Department of Education contributing physical education standards. It is Carrie Chef uh, facilitating a meeting of physical education teachers from across the state who are making those standards, which I actually think is a great thing, right? That, that we have these processes in place, but it can get a bit frustrating because sometimes, you know, we think we understand a great way to, to solve a solution to a problem, but we can't do that because we're the State Department of Ed. And so the best that we can do is, you know, contribute everything at a very general broad level and then have people supporting us across the state in different districts or different facets of the profession, making it more specific to their individual needs. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, it's good overall, though, because you do get to have a hand in some really important things and some really important changes that can impact, you know, in, in Arizona, we have over a million students in school right now. So sometimes the work that I do has an impact, potential impact on a million students. So that's great, right? Like that's an amazing yeah. thing. And, and you guys know Absolutely. that at the district level, it, it, it expands your reach. So that's super awesome. So Carrie, I'm gonna go back to something that you said earlier um, in talking about just with LEAs controlling kind of how you know, their PE teachers are utilized in their district and classroom teachers, you know, teaching PE essentially to their kids in, in some areas. So with COVID, 
do you think there will be a mind shift or more of an emphasis put on health and PE and the value that we bring, you know, to a school to bring to our students, you know, and even more importantly with this, you know, the buzzword of SEL time that it's trying to be added into the classrooms. Do you think too that um, districts are now looking more closely at what we do and seeing more value in that to understand that quality health and PE teachers actually embed SEL into their practices on a daily basis? So while, you know, I absolutely 100% agree with you, the, the, I think now more than ever, we're recognizing the importance of health and physical education. But I still think there's a disconnect between district level leadership to increasing health and physical education and improving that SEL, making an impact on academic achievement. Because again, when we, when we boil it down, right, we have to understand how schools function and why they function. School's goal ultimately is to, and I'm talking from a high level, not necessarily from a teacher perspective right now, is to make sure that our students are passing tests, right? We all know that that's one of the big downfalls of our education system right now is, is that they spend their money and their passion in the subject areas that get assessed. And so until we understand that it's more than just English language arts, math, science, and, and probably a couple of other subject areas that may or may not get tested in your state, we're never gonna get that connection. So while I think the population in general is understanding that health and wellness is crucial, right? Specifically highlighted during a time where we recognized how important health and PE are for not only our students, but also us as adults. Mm -hmm. But then making that connection to funding it in schools are two completely different things. And, and so that's where us as advocates at a state level, engaging students, engaging parents in the conversation, because they're the ones that, that drive decisions, right? If we think about who makes decisions and who has the most pull in a district, it's our parents. It should be our students, right? But sometimes that's secondary, but because the parents are a voice for the students, they're the ones that they answer to essentially. So when parents start pushing for more health and physical education, then I think we'll see that shift in districts and schools. But until then, just knowing that health and wellness matter, specifically through, you know, health education and physical education classes, that connection still isn't there. We're, we're, we got our foot in the door. And, you know, what we do to advocate while we've got this foot in the door is crucial. Right, so we're at a point right now where the world is listening to what we have to say and how we can identify SEL, health education and physical education. And if we don't take advantage of it, it's gonna pass. So I, I think we're there, but we're not nearly where we need to be. Yeah, and I'd like to add that there has been no other time that I remember in education. And I think Carrie, you and I have been in education about the same amount of time, 25, 26 years. I kind of did math while you were doing your 15 years of teaching and 10 years in Department of Ed. But there's been no time in education that I've ever experienced where guardians, parents are more informed of what is being taught because it's being in their households now. They're hearing it over, let's say, a Google Meet or a Zoom, and they're seeing it. And that's why I've been pushing so much 
to be sure that we're delivering quality health PE. I'll never ever just say health and PE, it is crucial. I will always say quality health and PE is crucial for student learning to take place. And that's where we have, have to put our best foot forward as health and PE teachers to ensure that we're standards aligned and we're implementing best practices. And that's why I think we've had several conversations, you know, ourselves about quality PE and what that looks like. And we'll get to that more in the, the, the broadcast, but parents are much more aware now what we're teaching. <laughs> and this is a great opportunity during this pandemic to highlight the importance of quality health and PE. So I just wanted yeah. to add that, but you well said, because that was just a, a question that Andrew and Keith and I have had several times about the impact of COVID and on um, health and PE. So well said. Yeah, thank you. And if I could add to what you just said, I think parents are seeing what health and physical education look like now. And they're yes. also understanding that it is nothing like what it looked like when they took it. And that's, that's great. Yes. That's great. That's great for our profession. And it's great for our kids um, because parents are finally starting to say, oh, you know, this is really good health and physical education. This is not what I used to call the three R's of PE. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this or not, but our profession for a long time did the three R's of PE. And it's not the Shape America folks, obviously, but it's um, yeah. roll the ball out, read the newspaper and relax, right? We, uh we, lived, we lived in a profession where that was the standard. And I know because I had it and then I taught with it, like I had colleagues doing that. Right. I, had a, I had a colleague doing that less than 10 years ago. So, you know, we, we've come a long way and it's good that parents get to see what good, effective health and physical education teaching actually looks like. I love this. Well said. Well said. So, so Carrie, I know you helped um, write your state standards for health education. Can you explain this process to us? Yeah, so let me clarify. I actually did it for physical education. Health education in Arizona, um, we don't actually get the opportunity to update our health education standards um, because uh, it's just a pretty controversial subject here in Arizona. Uh, we're, I won't get into the politics, but state standards at, at a Department of Education is a political thing sometimes. And due to the sensitive nature of some of the health education subject areas, they're kind of put on hold right now. Um, so I will walk through the, the physical education standards that we did. And then we did that in 2015. And so when Shape America redid their national standards, we jumped on the opportunity to do um, our physical education standards here in Arizona. And we were one of the first five states to do so after Shape you know, updated the national level. And so, like I said, we convened that group of teachers from across the state. We had elementary, secondary, uh, higher ed, we had district coordinators, uh, and, and they wrote the standards. They went through the scope and sequence chart that Shape America provided and the Arizona standards, and they Arizonified the national standards. So they added things, they took things out, and then we embedded the scope and sequence chart into our standards because one of the things that I had issues with when I was teaching was that we weren't really sure the scope and sequence to go, but in order to get the scope and sequence chart, you had to be a member of Shape America. And if you weren't a member of Shape America, you couldn't get to that. And I was like, we need to make the best possible standards 
for all of our teachers across this state, whether they're Shape America members or not. I, of course, encourage everyone to become a member of your state affiliation of SHAPE and, and SHAPE America nationally because they're great organizations. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, you know, why should you have better access to standards than a teacher who's not? So we embedded it in our state standards. So the scope and sequence chart is in Arizona standards. So when you pull up our standards, you can see them side by side to help you to help guide our teachers through that standards process. And and so when we did that, it was great. And it, it comes with a little bit of complication, right? We have to present them to the State Board of Education. They have to get approved. Um, and even when we presented them to the State Board of Education, the pushback on, on why we shouldn't update them was laughable, right? So the pushback we got from our State Board of Education was, well, teachers don't have enough equipment to actually teach all of these subject areas. And I was like, you're absolutely right, but they do it anyway right? Like our teachers don't have the necessary equipment. Another pushback was PE teachers aren't going to have enough time to get through all of these standards. And I said, you're absolutely right. We need more time for physical education so that we can get through all of the standards that are here and, and teach them effectively to our students. So they were literally advocating for why we should have more funding and more PE in their, their arguments against approving the state standards. Uh, in the end, of course, they they were voted through unanimously because they were very they're very rigorous and and they're amazing standards. But you know, it they highlighted the the flaws we have in our system at the state board of ed meeting, which I I loved actually. It was internally laughing at that. <laughs> Fantastic! I thought you were going to tell me that you would have to um, lessen your standards to meet the system standards. So I was afraid that you were going to say, yeah, then we had to go back to the drawing board because the system does not allocate enough instructional time and the system does not allocate enough funding for the appropriate equipment resources for those state standards. So let's just let's lower the bar, which that would be the opposite of what we're trying to do to produce healthy and productive adults. So that's yeah. hilarious. I would yeah. have been. Woo, that little speech bubble but 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 my yeah. head I've been like okay calm down calm down be cool be cool <laughs> so so that's when local control was our friend because local control we have we have state uh, schools in Arizona that have physical education every day and we have other schools that have it 45 minutes once a week and so the local control component came into if we you know approve these standards schools have the ability to control the amount of physical education they do and actually which standards they teach. Like there's no assessment in physical education in Arizona. So if they only teach standards one and components of three, some of four, some of five, that's okay because that's what meets the LEA's best, you know, best need. And so that local control actually helped us get those standards approved at that robust level. And they didn't have to be, um, like you said, cut down because of the lack of funding or lack of, uh, time for PE. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Go ahead, Keith. I, I have a, a question off of what you just said there. Um, with you have some districts that have PE every day and some once a week. Unfortunately, and, and fortunately, we do have this world that we're always looking at test scores, test scores, test scores. Have you guys been able to say mm -hmm. that look, the places that have PE every day have better test scores than the people, than the places that don't? That would be interesting. 
Yeah, I wish, and we're working on it. We, we actually <laughs> have a we actually have a proposal in right now that I can't actually share because it's not available. Like I'm not able to share it yet. But we have we have something that we're looking at that that would be able to uh, um, potentially capture some of that data. Uh, we don't collect any of that data here in Arizona. We collect like school enrollment data, so I can tell you like what students are in what classes, but we don't have somebody that can actually analyze that data. And so I know that that our universities in our state are working on their own survey methods and their own um, you know, research to try to make that correlation, but it's not done here at the State Department of Ed or at the state level in Arizona. Yeah, that'd be so interesting just to see your academic course. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Wow. Well, and I, and I cool. think the other thing, I think the other caveat to that is sometimes, so, uh, you know, I'm all about health and physical education, mm -hmm. but but sometimes we have to understand that there are so many outside factors that factor into that besides mm -hmm. just health and physical education that that I don't I never want to pigeonhole our profession, right? Sure. I never want us to to be like, okay, we're making these correlations between A-rated mm -hmm. schools and more physical education, and then when we have schools that have more physical education that aren't getting an A rating, they go, well, then let's just cut PE because it's not working for us. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a fine line. It's a real fine line you walk there, especially because, like I said, there's so many other things that factor in, such as at-home life, poverty levels, um, mm -hmm. the, the, the effectiveness of the actual teacher teaching the PE, right? Are we having the three R's PE or are we having PE like what's happening in your district, right, where it's heavily engaged professional development and resources aplenty and those kinds of things. So they're night and day. So that's that's why I think we, we do just be cautious with that. But do I absolutely think there's correlation? 100%. Yeah, well, you're right. The teacher is that confounding variable that makes the greatest difference, whether mm -hmm. they're going to throw scores or not. You're correct. It's the teacher presence that is the greatest predictor of student uh, growth. Yeah, but you would wonder, though, you know, because we have schools here that are doing a great job with with adding movement. And they're not A schools, but you know what they're showing? They're showing growth. Yeah. And so it shouldn't have to be whether you're an A school. It should be, are you showing growth? Because you're right. We can only control so much at school. Yep. Right? And at home and community. Yep. And, and yeah, and income level. But, you know, yeah. this is where I will never forget being told by, I think it might have been... Um, I think it was Eric Jensen that said we have we have far more control over our students um, growth and learning than we ever thought before, because memories are malleable. The brain changes over time and the power and presence of a teacher is the greatest factor effect size for student success. That's why I always say yep. best thing that we can invest in is a quality teacher. That's the best investment for any school district, quality teacher. That is yep. the gift that we give kids, I, the yeah. gift of quality teacher. Well, and that's the awesome part about being at the Department of Ed. I get to provide professional development to teachers to help them become quality teachers, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, it's that's an awesome opportunity. And back to the uh, correlation though, between like you said, student growth, right? And how we have an impact on that. That's where we fall into the national level studies. Like we know the CDC research, we know ASCD uh, with the WISC model. Uh, we understand studies that come out like the, the learning readiness, physical education that came out of Naperville. Uh, mm -hmm. We understand right. as a profession, we can prove that, 
right? Yeah. And so showing that correlation at a school level isn't always vital, but I agree that it can help make, make the cause, right? Like it's really hard for a State Department of Education to say we need more minutes in physical education when we can't show if we actually have effective physical education. Mm -hmm. So that's where collecting that state level data really matters because it helps us as State Department of Educators like advocate at a state level because somebody has to talk to the Arizona legislators, right? right? And while it can't be me directly, if we can compile the information so that somebody else can go have that conversation, that's my role to make sure that they have the most up-to-date, relevant information and in what Arizona's physical education and health education programs look like so that we can make that change. Hmm. Yeah, it does make, it, it makes a lot of sense. And you, you know, the other factor you could always throw in there, like you said, with, with your state hiring people who don't necessarily have to be uh, certified. I mean, if you have an everyday PE teacher that's certified versus an everyday PE teacher that's non-certified, how much does that affect, you know, the test scores that building with quality PE versus like you said, the three R's. So it'd yeah, be another and, factor thrown into everything. That right. Could, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, we also in, as professionals tend to think that our certified, our other th certified professionals are better teachers because they're certified. And I can sure. tell you firsthand, that's not true. Mm -hmm. I have seen well, some non-certified physical education teachers that are far better teachers and some certified physical education teachers. That's and so true. while I think everybody should be certified and have that background, uh, absolutely. But that's not always the be all end all. And that that speaks to that lack of professional development Correct. and just the kind of, I don't know if it's like laissez-faire attitude that we have sometimes with our PE teachers. And it also depends on why they were hired, right? Mm -hmm. We all know teachers that were hired because of sports they can coach yeah and and so that that's also feeding into that you don't actually have to be a good teacher as long as we have the winning sports program and, and so you know i could sit here and talk to you for hours about these these big systemic issues right but what would right and we know we we see it every day not the money right so we need to be the best teachers that we can be. And of course, if we're certified, that's amazing because we've got the pedagogy in the background, but we also need to support our non-certified teachers because sometimes they're doing great things too and they need our help as well because when it boils down, it's about the kids. And so getting the best resources to the people who are working with the kids is what we focus on. Yeah, and that's why it was so important during our speak out day week with Shape America that we advocated for Title II funding. Title II funding, listeners, viewers, that is professional uh, development. So that's where we're advocating for that strong professional development for our non-licensed and licensed teachers. It's critical. That's right. That's again, investing in quality teachers is a wise investment. So, okay, Carrie, um, going to Back to the state standards, and I know Andrew asked you about the process of writing state standards, but why are state standards so important? If we have national standards, why is it so important to have a state standards document to follow? So state standards are important because they're specific to the state, right? Uh, what physical education looks like in Arizona is not what physical education looks like in North Carolina. 
um, we have access to, to things that you don't necessarily have access to, right? Such as swimming pools. A lot of our high school campuses have swimming pools built right on them. And so we can have a strong aquatics unit with no issues and we can do it, you know, almost all year long here because we can swim in February because our pools are heated and it's just something you do here. Um, we have hiking trails. Right, Kyle Bragg, um, who I'm not sure if you guys know who Kyle is. He's an amazing teacher here in Arizona. He's also part of Shape America's Physical Activity Council. Um, he has a hiking trail right outside his school. So they can hike uh, on a, a desert mountain-like hiking trail that's connected to their school. So we've written things into Arizona standards that are Arizona specific that aren't necessarily going to be applicable to other states. Uh, so having that state lens, which is why it was so important for our teachers to be the ones to write the standards, because they understand um, what it's like. They also understand what it's like to teach PE outside in 115 degree weather in August and to not have like water fountains that actually have cold water coming out of them because the groundwater is so hot in the summertime. That's not really an option. And so, you know, you have to modify and adjust and, and they understand that better than anybody else because they're the ones doing it. So uh, having that state perspective is important. And then even breaking it down further, you as a district leaders understand what your district needs versus another district because what Mesa Public Schools needs is not the same thing as what Red Mesa needs, which is on uh, one of our reservations. Those are night and day different schools. One's very urban, very populated, very diverse. The other is very rural, very smaller student population, and it, it's got different needs based on facilities, equipment, teachers, all kinds of things factoring into that. So having state perspective different than national and having district and school perspective different than state is really important. Wow, I just took a lot of notes on that one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a, little long, I'm a little long in the tooth sometimes. <laughs> no, actually, I don't want to give this up, but this is one of my aha moments that I just had was that people often, and people I, I refer to a lot of guardians, community, community members that are not in the education system, often say, why doesn't a one-size-fit-all approach work? And that is yeah, what never. you highlighted. These are the reasons why it won't, because if we're going to meet the needs of our kids, we have to diversify. Yeah, and we want yes that local um, education agency. And by the way, Kyla Bragg has a hiking trail that is amazing. Kyle, yeah. <laughs> yep, wow. and he use he uses it too. And he actually for Speak Out Day invited um, one of the offices of the representatives that we spoke to to come and hike on his trail because um, he's an avid hiker the representative is. And so Kyle's like, come on down to our school. Our kids would love to hike with you. So <laughs> making awesome. connections. Well, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, fantastic. Yeah. It, it, it is important to recognize that because our students needs aren't the same, there's no way that our, you know, our schools can look anything like each other, let alone district, state and national. That's right. right. Wow. I'm serious. You should see all my notes. <laughs> I can't write that fast. So I'm trying to just mentally one, two words here. So now Carrie, let's talk dough. And I'm not talking pizza dough. I'm talking that moolah, you know, that money that we're all shooting for, right? 
Because you wrote a blog for Shape America called the CARES Act, a federal funding opportunity for HPE. Can you tell us what is the CARES Act and is any of that money automatically allocated for HPE? Oh, I'd love to explain. So that blog post is actually old. Um, we've we've had two CARES Acts now, and then we've had the emergency relief plan and the rescue plan. Like there's a, a lot of federal funding out there right now, um, including GEARS funds, which is government funding. It's kind of like, think of it like a stew, right? Um, so when you make a stew, you have all these different ingredients that you put in it. That's all these different federal funding streams. You've got Title I, Title II, Title IVA, ESSER, uh, which is CARES Act funds, um, and then, like I said, GEAR funds, and then the you know, last, round, last round of stimulus that just came in um, that President Biden put in is an additional funding source. So there's technically three forms of ESSER funding, um, and none of that funding is specifically earmarked for health and physical education. But health and physical education programs can have access to all of those different funding streams if they know how to do it or if it's available to them, right? That's the big if, because knowing how to get the funds is one thing, having access to them is another. Um, a lot of those funds, and, and that's true for Title I, Title II, Title IVA, and ESSER one, two, and three, they're, they're decided at the LEA level. And so when we look at how does Kim get funds for her district, she has to do a certain process, right? You guys have a process. You said you work with your grants coordinator, mm -hmm. but how does one of your teachers let you know that they need access to that funding? There's a process that you have in your district. That process looks different at every single LEA across the country. And so um, understanding how advocate who to mm -hmm. talk to and what you need to do is is crucial. Um, I think the biggest point to hit home is you have to understand the funding. I'm actually working on mm -hmm. um, a guide that we're going to be sharing, hopefully not too far in the near future, about how Title I, Title II, Title IVA, and the ESSER CARES Act funds are available and what kinds of programs they can fund in health and physical education. So I'm doing like a crosswalk document between the, the WISC model and federal mm -hmm. funding. So I've, I've broken down and, and like I said, hopefully that comes out soon, but I've broken down like the 10 components in the WISC model and the federal funding streams and showing how people can get access to that funds. But actually doing that is a whole nother thing, right? Sure. Knowing, knowing about you have to understand how those funds align to health and physical education programs, and then you have to figure out how to make it work for you. Um, I, I'll use Hawaii as an example because they're the oddball state uh, when it comes to federal funding. The state of Hawaii um, uses is, is like one giant LEA, uh, with the exception of their private schools. So when we look at Hawaii, it is a the state agency is the city like school district the state school district oh, wow. so they apply they apply for federal funding and all of the leas are included in there because oh. it is one giant lea and you know i can you should really speak to somebody from hawaii to get a better perspective 
um, like George Centio or Aaron Centio. I don't know if you know either one of them. George is, does the role that I do at the State Department of Ed in Hawaii, but it's a very unique thing. So you can't tell a Hawaii PE teacher to go ask for federal funding because it's done at the state level. So the state kind of acts like its own LEA. Interesting. It, that looks, wow. Yeah, that looks a lot different than what, what it is in, at a small charter school in Arizona. At a charter school in Arizona, I can tell the PE teacher, you know, this is, you should talk to your principal first. Your principal should, you know, be involved in the needs assessment process because if it isn't written in your needs assessment, you're not getting any federal funding from any of the dollars because that's kind of how it works. And yes. so at the charter school, you know, PE teacher talks to principal, principal talks to whoever's writing the grants and they might be able to get some money. It doesn't look like that in, in many other school districts. So uh, is the money out there? Uh, 100%. We all have access to dough right now. It's understanding what ingredients to put into you to get it so that you can cook it right and serve it up to health and physical education programs. I see what you did there. There's that pizza reference there, Carrie. <laughs> they, they usually say it's with the water. <laughs> it is, right? It is. And, and, and that's a great reference. All dough is different depending on what the ingredients you put into it and your knowledge about, you know, how to make a good dough. Same is true for federal funding and federal dough. Another mic drop. There's been several, several. Do we count so, cauliflower dough in that? Oh my um, goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we have to address the gluten-free needs too. <laughs> Love it. So Carrie, you just mentioned about the process where um, PE teacher to principal, principal, what we call a school improvement plan needs assessment. It has yep. to be written in their schools. Let's call it strategic plan, right? Yep. Do you think that districts that do not have a health or PE coordinator like myself in my central office, are they at a disadvantage of getting that funding if there's not somebody shouting out and advocating to be able to get that funding for quality health and PE programs? So that depends. That depends right. on the school and it depends on the district. There are some district coordinators out there who don't advocate for funding. And right. so right. They, they're not serving in that role um, for whatever reason, lack of knowledge, lack of support. They've been told they don't have the opportunity to ask for funding, right? Some of our big district level folks don't even get an opportunity to have that conversation because it's, it's just not something they're privy to. And you might have a yeah yeah yeah, and you might have a smaller district where they don't have a district coordinator, where all of the PE teachers are working together as a united front to get funding, and they've got the ear of that federal funding person, and they're getting the supplies that they need. So it, it you know it, it depends on how well that coordinator is working and whether or not they actually are allowed to or understand mm -hmm. the process in the most effective way. Yeah. Well said. I just wanted our viewers and listeners to know that whatever position you are in health and PE, you can still be an advocate. <laughs> it well, doesn't yeah. mean somebody who to be a coordinator of a school district. You can be an advocate. Know the federal funding. You can advocate for it. Right. And I'm going to I'm going to uh, sub quote uh, RuPaul here. Um, and that we don't do this enough in health and physical education, but RuPaul at the end of, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race says, if you don't love yourself, how the heck are you going to love, how is anybody else going to love you essentially, right? Oh. So if we don't love ourselves in health and physical education enough to 
advocate for ourselves, how can we expect anybody else to show us love? That's right. right? So we've got to be our biggest fans. And, and yeah, go ahead. And I was going to say, we also have to recognize, and this is a, a something that, that I'm running, you know, bringing to the Shape America president-elect platform. Um, we also have to learn how to work with the other people who are advocating for these same funds. Yeah. Because if we come as the silo of health and physical education teachers, and if the arts educators come as a silo and the CTE professionals come as a silo, we are actually fighting against each other for the exact same funding. Whereas if we come as a united front working with our arts educators, working with our um, CTE professionals as a giant group united front, we, we are showing people that, that we have solidarity in our professions and that we want these programs for all of our students, all of these programs. Because we, the last thing we wanna do is pit ourselves against each other because that just creates problems and it creates resentment, right? So like here at Department of Ed, when we have asks, we it's our PE and our arts groups that work together to create asks so that we don't intentionally undermine each other you know, while we're all trying to get into this, these pots of funds. Right, and one right. of the things that Speak Out Week and Shape America prepared me, um, I think the greatest message was lead with the story. So everybody can, like I shared before, everyone could be an advocate. PE teachers, share your story. Why is that funding important? Why is it, like I love what you said, work in solidarity with the other ones. And that's how we lead with our story, why it's so important for these funding for all these programs. So I wrote that right. down. And, yeah, More and how much, how, much stronger, <laughs> how much stronger are you when you have CTE and arts educators showing the importance of physical education and, and health education right. because we've, we've taught them that. And then yeah. your PE teachers are advocating for the importance of, of art and CTE for the creative sides that are happening and the job potentials in the future. Like when we're all advocating mm -hmm. together, we're stronger. Right, and you know what subjects do not have to advocate? ELA and math. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine that. Right? That's what well, one time they're like yeah you know ela and math never have to advocate like you do i'm like really mm -hmm. yeah they don't not for funding anyway right they're no, they probably no. advocate differently for best practice but they certainly don't have to advocate for money traditionally right. or time that's correct truth that's a there's a key like another one right? that's, that's, key. That's, that's been kind of our message too you know going forward with you know, in our district is teachers outside of health and PE need to understand the value we bring just as much as we know the value that they bring, you know, so embedding and, and putting more of a focus on what we do into their teaching practice, then shows them what it does for their students. And they start to see the benefits and get a better value of what we bring to their kids on a daily basis. So we would be, you know, if we didn't mention this, you know, we need to, we need to congratulate you on being in the running for the Shape America president uh, within Thank this election. So, you know, Thank congratulations you. on that honor. Um, it, it's a, a fantastic, you know, whoever gets elected, we know is going to, you know, do a fantastic job. So what, what made you want to run to be the next Shape America president? 
So thank you, first and foremost, I appreciate it. It is absolutely an honor to even be considered as a candidate. Um, you know, I was uh, extremely humbled. Um, and I think the main reason that I ran is because I do have a totally different perspective than um, a lot of people in our profession. Uh, I don't know anybody else who actually reviews federal grants for a living that's also, you know, working at the health and PE level other than uh, Carly, right? Carly Wright at Shape America understands federal world and lots of us understand federal dollars, but actually reviewing a grant is a whole nother uh, facet to that. Um, and when I looked at that perspective, I said to myself, we do a really great job in at, at Shape America, at our state associates, at our local levels of providing quality or effective physical education and health education programs for our students, right? But we also do have a lot of room for improvement, right? We tend to do a, this is what I think these students need, right? I think that when I'm providing education at the State Department of Education in Arizona, that my rural Native American schools and our indigenous population, that this is what they need. But if I never engage them in that conversation to find out what they actually need, then I'm missing the boat. And so recognizing that we need to engage our profession on an entirely different level is one of the reasons that I, I chose to run. Um, how are we engaging our high school teachers to get them what they need? Because as I said earlier, they're underserved in our profession. And I say that because in the 15 years that I taught high school, I didn't need to be a member of my state or my national association because I didn't see the benefit in being one. And that speaks volumes to me. So what can we do to Im improve that? How do we reach our, a more diversified population? Like how do we make Shape America's resources as diverse as the student body we serve? Because right now our resources, they're, they're, they have come a long way. We are doing so much as a profession in strides in equity, diversity, and inclusion. Like we're, we have come tenfold in like a year period and, and kudos to, to Brett Fuller and to Shape America for the work that they're doing. Like I said, with Carly and Sean and Stephanie and all those guys, it's been amazing work and we're finally starting to engage, but we're just now at the tip of that iceberg. And, and you know, how do we include student voice, parent voice? How are we reaching our most rural educators? How are we making sure that what's happening in Charlotte is also happening everywhere else in this country? Because until we have what's happening in your schools, in all schools, we've got a long way to go. And so the platform, like I said, that I'm running on is that that federal funding lens in, in that diversity. And I think it's important for us to know as teachers that when ESSA was written into law, it is a civil right for every student in this country to have access to a well-rounded education. And when we aren't providing a well-rounded education, which includes health and physical education, that we are denying our students their civil rights. And so that perspective is why I'm running for Shape America president-elect and figuring out a way as an organization to meet that diversity 
and to get every single student in this country their, their promised civil rights of a well-rounded education. You couldn't have said any better. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> if you win, do we get? Can we get like some rock and roll music at the convention? I mean, possibly. I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll see We've had hip hop, public health. How about rock and roll, public health? I mean, you know, it, it, there's always a possibility. Wow, Carrie, that was fantastic. About uh, again, I have several aha moments that I'm going to share at the end, but. Thus, you stating it is a child's constitutional right to be served health and PE. That if we're not addressing health and PE, I like to say quality health and PE again, then we are not providing a well-rounded education. Yep. And if parents and guardians were more informed in that, maybe we would allocate more instructional time and resources to quality health and PE. Yep. Absolutely. And that well-rounded education, because how, yeah. how can we expect our students to come out of a system and be well-rounded when we aren't providing them with the opportunities to be well-rounded? Okay. That's the soundbite. I'm not touching that. <laughs> one. that that's going to be a little soundbite right there. There it is. Is that, that going to be the preview soundbite for the week? <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to have to chop this up. I got several sound bites. Yeah, I've taken notes several, on. several gems. Wow. I'm glad that we're doing this four days before it launches out because there is going to be several slices of video content and sound bites from this podcast. Woo. All right. Keith and Andrew, are you guys ready for quick bites? Oh, we're ready. It's whether Carrie's yeah. ready. Exactly. Oh, bring it. Okay. Bring All right, Carrie. So this is quick bites. This is where Andrew and I have come up with about, you know, eight to 10 questions, quick fire questions. Kim doesn't know any of them. So it's going to be just as a surprise to her as it is to you. And uh, this first thing off the top of your head. Are you ready? Okay, go for it. Last song you listened to. Ooh. Uh, Billie Eilish song. Okay. It's called My Future, I think. I'm going, to, I'm going to test your Arizona knowledge. Okay. So what is the official state neckwear of Arizona? <laughs> oh, good night. I mean, I'm going to guess bolo tie. I don't know. You got it. Bingo. <laughs> That's great. That's amazing. You, you just have to live. You just have to live here, Kim. You, I mean, you, you would know. Bolos are fantastic. I want one. There is a good chance. That's where I might retire. I, I would wear a bolo to work. Just oh, yeah, I mean, especially a turquoise one. Wow. Absolutely. Okay, now, uh, if Voldemort offered you a hug in a non-COVID year, would you accept? Uh, absolutely, with a... Uh, uh, let me, let me the, the sword of Gryffindor, like in my back pocket, so that I could, you know, jab it. <laughs> well thought out. Yeah. Kill that uh, last whole crux once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do if you won the lottery? Oh, okay. Um, I would move uh, first and foremost. Uh, no, our, our house is great. Don't get me wrong, but it's older and I would like a nice upgrade. Um, yeah, that's probably about it. And I, I, you know, I'd help as many of my family and friends as I could. Awesome. Favorite karaoke song. Oh, black velvet by Alana miles. 
Or You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. Either one, I can jam either one. I've heard you sing Alanis Morissette on that one. You killed it. That was awesome. Thank you. I, I want to say, was that a Shape America? Maybe in it, Seattle. Was it Seattle? Probably. That sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. It's an appropriate Seattle song. Yeah, I think so. That's true. All right. So if you could get yourself anything in the world, what would you get yourself? If I could get myself anything in the world, what would I get myself? Wow. Lottery money questions for these quick questions. I know, right? Um, geez. You, can't say, you can't say house because you already said that for the lottery. So yeah. it's got to be something different. Perfect health. There you go. Great answer. Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Star. I love Star Trek, but Star Wars. What is your favorite beverage or drink? Sweet tea. It's like an addiction. I think I have an IV set up and I just run a drip. <laughs> Maybe you have some North Carolina blood in you then. I, I Probably. You probably. Uh, what's Any for dinner bites? tonight? Any more quick bites? Yep, two more. Yep. Two more. Okay. Uh, what's for dinner tonight? Uh, I have no idea. I do not plan my meals out. It's just kind of whatever I feel like eating and what's in the fridge. That's such a Kim move. Yeah. I come from the Kim, I, I come from the Kimberly line of cooking. Yes. <laughs> this is my last one. So, first concert you will attend after COVID restrictions are lifted. Hmm. Ooh. Oh, I don't even know who's going to be out there still, right? So many of them are retiring. Um, you know, if Madonna ever comes back around or Lady Gaga, I'm I'm on board. Ooh, okay. yeah. Awesome. Uh, put a spotlight on Carrie, and we know her as a healthful, you know, coordinator, healthful living coordinator, an advocate in our health and PE world. But Carrie, I just want to say from mom to mom, you are one heck of a mom. I know that because anytime that you come to Charlotte for a physical activity leader training, I've seen you at national conferences and there's times that we might actually be at the dinner table together and you're like, excuse me, excuse me, I have to leave because this is my time I talk to my daughter. You have a, anytime you are away, which you used to travel quite a bit before COVID, that you had a standing time that you would FaceTime or talk to your daughter every single night. And I remember just saying to you, that's amazing. You have such a great relationship with your daughter. And I know we're friends on Facebook and on social media. And sometimes you share those memories and experiences. But um, I just wanted our viewers and broadcast uh, listeners to know what a great person you are, even behind the health and PE cape you wear, because you truly are a, a Wonder Woman. So I really uh -huh. appreciate it. Thank you so much. That actually means a lot. Um, it's the most important job in the world, mm -hmm. um, parent. And um, I take that one, you know, with a lot of pride. Uh, and, and actually, if you've ever been to one of my PAL trainings, you've heard me talk about how the physical education and health system aren't designed for people like my daughter, right? Right. So uh, my daughter's not an athlete, um, mm -hmm. which is really hard as somebody who was an athlete. Um, but our PE programs failed her. 
And one yep. of the reasons why I'm such an advocate for health and physical education being effective and meeting the student's needs is because they didn't meet her needs. So uh, mm -hmm. it, it, my personal life carries into my work life, but uh, you know, I'm absolutely blessed with, with an amazing daughter and, and grateful for my husband and the family that I have. And, and you know, it's, it, it's awesome. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah it just, all of our colleagues, we've been able to, who have on our podcast who volunteer their time too, by the yeah. way. Um, we are just so humbled to be surrounded by the fact that one, such advocates for our profession, but just really good people. You know how our parents said, surround yourself with good people? <laughs> like, I'm so blessed to have you as a friend and uh, and obviously a colleague first, but then friend and then got gotten to know you and your family dynamics and um, how you are as a as a mother too. So I just wanted our people, I wanted our listeners to know that, that you're just, you're very authentic and real. Oh, so. thank you. And likewise, you know, um, I value our friendship a lot. Actually, yeah. uh, um, it was it was awesome. We made an instant connection. And then mm -hmm. I got introduced uh, to the guys and they're great too. I mean, I think you guys are an awesome team and, and what you're doing in your schools is amazing. Um, and, you know, your teachers, if they don't recognize how awesome they have it, this is my my call out to them to pay attention to what you have at your district level because that's not common to have what what you have and you guys are rock stars not only for your teachers but for everybody else this podcast is amazing like what i've learned from listening is you know things that i'll take with me for moving forward for the rest of my career and like you said outside of the pe world you guys are real, all really awesome people that we can, you know, harass and talk about soccer and, and have a good laugh or two when we need to. And, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Now, and it's okay if we disagree with one another, that's what I love about it is yep. that in our profession, there are so many different viewpoints and perspectives, but just get a slice of pizza, grab yourself a drink and have a conversation about it instead of being a keyboard warrior <laughs> and post <laughs> across the social media to people you don't even know. Would you say that in front of each other on some of these comments and posts that we've seen on um, social media? But I just went somewhere else that we could have a whole different podcast <laughs> on. But that's that's important, right? Build those relationships that so we can have a real true conversation and to offer our different perspectives and viewpoints in health and PE. Because just as I taught elementary and Andrew and Keith did, it doesn't mean that my way of teaching was any better than their way, or I taught high school and you probably taught it just a different style than I did. And as long as we were aligning our standards, we were you know, ensuring best practices, time and engagement, it wasn't the three R's, we're gonna, we're gonna get along <laughs> yep. and have a good conversation. But, Absolutely. So, but I don't want to take up any more of your time. Andrew, you, we, really, yeah, we really appreciate everything you do on a daily basis and kudos to everything you've done and you will continue to do. And we appreciate it. Uh, you're very welcome. And thank you for having me. It's an honor to be a guest of your podcast and I appreciate it very much. Uh, keep doing what you're doing and uh, you know, keep rocking. <laughs> She's always rocking. <laughs> I know. That's, that's the probably the bigger connection. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, Thank Carrie. You. Enjoy. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. See you Thanks. soon. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Woo! I already gave my ahas throughout that uh, podcast.
podcast. So this is going to be a difficult one because I already gave two of them. Um, oh, goodness. I'm going back on my notes. Um, I think is when she started saying um, about why she was running for Shape America president-elect, how she kept using the phrase, I think this is what students need to know. I think, I think. It was her perspective that we have to have greater engagement of that teacher voice, student voice, parent voice to be in the conversation on how to support um, our students in health and PE. Instead of just saying, I think, because we could say that at the district level, guys, right? We could say, I think this is what our teachers need. I think, but if unless we don't do our due diligence and talk to teachers, then it's just thinking. We have to do the due process and ask those who are impacted the most in those certain areas to get their input. So I, I, that was one of my aha moments is that if she gets that Shape America president, I like that she would do, um, she recognized the need to engage more people in our profession. That's my aha moment. I have two, two things really. And one we, we kind of already stated, but uh, talking about how, how important it is to have state standards, right? We talked about the national, but also the state, because what we're going to show there is the fact that our standards highlight the flaws of our system, right? When they recognize and they see that how rigorous our standards really are, and then they see that we don't have the resources, we don't have the time, we don't have the funding. How are we going to teach all this stuff, right? right. It brings that to light and it really shows what we do. So I thought that was genius as far mm -hmm. as bringing all that stuff. And then the other thing too, that you mentioned Kim, and it was mentioned numerous times, but I can't not mention it again, is it is a civil right for all students to receive a well-rounded education. How do we argue that? It's very hard to argue that point when it's a civil right. You know, so to, to me, that's something I'm going to hold on to and use that as much as I possibly can to fight for what we need in our district. Yeah. There were so many mic drops. Keith, what do you got? Well, you know, there's, like I said, there's a bunch. One of the things I love to find out when we talk to these people from around our country is how different um, the requirements are for PE. Mm. And, like, you know, it, it, it amazes me that, you know, we still have states that don't technically require it or require them to have it other than a classroom teacher doing that. And, you know, you think of how much the teachers in our district, our classroom teachers complain when there's a new program bringing on one more thing now throw, Hey, well, you got to throw PE on top of that. Yeah. You now you got to teach that. Right. So <laughs> talk about, right. It's physical activity is what it turns out to be. Correct. But it's still one of those, you know, Oh, well that's one more thing, you know, but it, that's, that's the amazing part to me and that they don't really even have a high school requirement. You know, that's, 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 that's kind of crazy to me, but I also think that, you know, one of the, the big thing she says, we really do have to diversify our resources that we do include the students and parents. And, and it's, it's, it's not only getting teachers out there to be advocates, but we do have to have, find a way to get into the PTAs to get them to be that united front. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be at a school that had a strong PTA that believed in the arts programs. And oftentimes we would benefit from that. They would help get the art teacher extra supplies or the music teacher risers 
or a climbing wall in my gym, right? But I, I was fortunate enough to have a good, strong PTA and, and, and be in the area I can do that. But yeah, it, it will take more than just, because there are a lot of PE teachers screaming from the mountaintops are just, you know, unfortunately not being heard. And when it comes to diversifying our, our, um, our curriculum, it's how do we reach the non-athletes? Yeah. It's such a key piece to that. Because how do you get students interested in lifelong wellness and, and health and these things that they're not students that are athletes, you know, like like Carrie said with her daughter? How do we reach those students? You know, that and is the system important. failed the, the, her daughter. Yeah. Now, you know, it, but that foundation lays. And I mean, I, we can talk about the differences in in middle school, high school PE, but that foundation really lays at the elementary schools and having a good, strong elementary PE teacher that is going to see that kid for the most amount of time. You're going to have them for six years. True. So that that impression like, you make then is. Yeah. Like Ron said, the motor skill development is the foundation, but you still like, cause I've had experienced kindergarten all the way to, you know, high school. I've seen, I taught all grade levels. Sure. Um, doesn't mean that the secondary level is less important. Um, no, no, no. But, I'm not saying that, but I don't want any of our words to be misconstrued when people hear this or watch this because every grade level is important. We just mean we just mean that the motor skills is the foundation to build upon and and to value as you know in every grade level. But that's not even it. I'm not even worried about the motor skills. I'm worried about the teacher that's making the connections and and giving them the basics of liking and, and advocating for, you know, just a healthy lifestyle. If you show as an elementary PE teacher and that's their first experience, like the first kid that comes off the bus, you know, you might be the first teacher they see. And if you're giving them a high five, that could change their day. You're mm -hmm. the first PE teacher that they have. And you can really make a kid hate PE before they even get to the secondary level. True. But I do, you know, I'm, I'm the no, one I'm not is that any teacher, you know, has a lot more influence over no. a learning than um than you ever thought before but guys i'm out of pizza um i have a lot to process on this podcast uh love always having a conversation with you guys again like i said we have a lot of bite-sized youtube video content that i'm going to edit from this podcast and for those who are listening um all at once on a podcast please go check out www dot pizza pe.org where you have links to all the podcast sessions and all the bite-sized youtube video links slice you later ciao